need to dismiss the children today. All the children may be dismissed to Children's Church at this time. Children and the workers, you may make your way up there. The rest of you, find the book of 1 Samuel in your Bibles, please. 1 Samuel chapter 7 in the Word of God. 1 Samuel chapter 7. First Samuel chapter 7. I'm glad the sun is shining. That gives me hope that warmer weather may be just around the corner. I thought yesterday, the sun is shining. That's wonderful. We went out in the wind. Listen, uh, it's cold. Now, I don't mind cold. Uh, you understand winter, where I live, winter fell on a Thursday this year. Okay? And that's kind of nice. That's kind of nice. But here it just kind of seems to hang on and just when you think it's done. Summer does that in the south. You know, you think, man, it has been hot since March. And then round about middle of December, you think, oh, we deer hunters, we get, hey, there's a cold front coming through. The deer are going to be moving. It only lasts half a day, and then summer comes back, and it's 85 degrees again. But I think may, winter may try to do that here. But I'm glad the sun is shining, and most importantly, I'm glad we're in the house of God where we can open the Word of God. Well, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 7. May I get you to stand? If you're able to, we'll read from the Scripture beginning with verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Notice it says, And the men of Kerjath-Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord. And brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill, and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kerjath-Jerim that the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do re return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord. And serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtoreth and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued. And they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Help us, our Father, as we look into this portion of Scripture. Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray. And Lord, I pray for that soul that's here without Jesus Christ. I pray that today they would bow and humble their heart 
and they would accept the gospel and the Savior who wants to transform their life and make them a new person. For those of us who have accepted your offer of salvation, we ask that you'd speak to our hearts as well. Draw us close, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. December 22, 1941, the Japanese invaded the American islands, the American-held islands of the Philippines. They had already attacked Pearl Harbor in a surprising attack, a surprise attack, on Sunday morning, December 7th. And with that, they had taken out much of the, uh, certainly the battleships of the United States Pacific Fleet. Beginning the Second World War, or at least the American involvement in the Second World War. The Japanese attack on the Philippines came very swiftly, and the, the Americans there were immediately overrun. They had not been expecting this attack. Uh, the attack in Pearl Harbor was a surprise, and the attack in Manila was a surprise as well. The, Douglas MacArthur was in command of the American forces. The Japanese commander was given 50 days to complete the Japanese conquest of the Philippines. He began December 22, 1941, and on March the 10th, he had still not completed the conquest of the, of the Philippines. The Americans, despite being outgunned and, and being outnumbered, they held on. They ceded the, the, uh, the city of the Manila to the Japanese. They did not want the, the Filipino uh, city to be destroyed at that time. And, and so they allowed the Japanese to come into Manila. But they held out. MacArthur said, the Japanese may take the island of the Philippines, but he will not be able to have the port at Manila. They said, he can have the bottle, but we will control the cork. And so that was his defensive strategy, outnumbered as he was. Well, on March the 10th, 1942, MacArthur received a, 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 an order from the President of the United States. The order stated, Mr. MacArthur, General MacArthur, you are to leave your post in the Philippines. And MacArthur didn't like the order, but he was a soldier. And so with that, MacArthur got his family on board a submarine, and eventually they would be taken to Mindanao and then on to Australia, where he would take command of the American Army forces in the South Pacific. And so MacArthur found himself leaving his post. As far as MacArthur was concerned, he had spent much of his, uh, much of his life there in the Philippines as a military governor. He loved the Filipino people. If you've ever been to the Philippines, you'll understand it's not hard to love the Filipino people, little short people like this. But they're just winsome. They're just, they're just enjoyable to be around. I've spent some wonderful years in ministry and, and that wonderful island nation. And so MacArthur did not want to leave, but leave he did. And with his leaving, he made this promise, I shall return. Well, a lot of things happened in the Philippines between the time that that promise was issued. But on January the 9th, 1945, on the island of Luzon, MacArthur came ashore and fulfilled his promise to return. In my subdivision in Mississippi, he's no longer living, but there was a man in my subdivision for a while that was there when MacArthur waded ashore on the island of Luzon. He himself describes it. He's, he grew up in Missouri, but he said, I well remember when the ships came into that beachhead and when, the, and when the, the ramps dropped and we didn't know what we were going to expect. We didn't know if Japanese resistance would meet us, but he said, I was part of that return. You know, there's something about returning to a place where you have left. 
if you are if you are driving around Memphis and the time is right, there will be times when you'll just be driving along thinking everything is fine, everything is wonderful, when suddenly you will hear the blare of a horn. It will be repeated. Honk, 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 honk. And you might be tempted to turn around and think, what in the world is going on? These people who drive in this area are crazy. If you come to Memphis, Tennessee, in North Mississippi, and you decide that the people who drive in that area are crazy, you are 100% correct. In Memphis, Tennessee, just north of where I live, in Memphis, Tennessee, a majority of the drivers are uninsured. That's right, uninsured, Pastor Monday. It's like 54% of them have no automobile insurance. None, zero, that, nothing, okay? And not a majority, but it's something like 49% of them don't have an operator's license, okay? So if you come to where I live, you can make the fundamental assumption these people are crazy behind the wheel. You'd be right. But there are times when you, then you're going to hear somebody just blaring on the horn and, just, and you're going to think, ah, this is a new level of crazy. What's going on here? It's me. Yeah, it's me. I'm the one. Because our family has a tradition. Whenever we have been two states away and we re-enter our home state, we celebrate like anybody from the South does. We lay on the horn. That's right. That's right. You should see the poor motorists around us. What in the world is that? Ah! Well, we celebrate. Why? Because we've been away, and now we're coming back home. And so I blow the horn like a crazy man, and uh, everybody gets they, they at first swerve a little bit, but then they get over it. They say, okay, just another, just another southern boy coming back home. I don't know what he's celebrating. Maybe his team just scored a touchdown, or maybe his team just uh, won the basketball game. I don't know. He's celebrating something. Let him go and let him be. And that's me. That's me. Because there's something about coming back. Now, I want you to understand, we have just read a passage of Scripture that talks about a people that are coming back. They're not coming back from two states away. They haven't received orders from the commander-in-chief to leave their post, and now they're coming back. No, they're coming back spiritually. I want you to notice a word that we have read. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 7, but I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 3. The Bible says, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do, what's the word? Return. You know what that is? That's coming back. You see, here's a group of people. They were God's people. God had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, but they had gotten away from God. And now, in this passage of Scripture, they're crying out to God. All of a sudden, things have gotten tough. Things have gotten difficult. And Samuel says, listen, if you want to return, God will let you return. But it's time to make some decisions when you return. I want to tell you something. God is in the business of bringing back people who have strayed from him. God is in the business of bringing back. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody here. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Let me tell you what the Bible says. There was a time when God created man. Man was in a sinless environment. Man was in a place where everything was beautiful, everything was wonderful, and yet man decided to sin against God. It, with that act, man left God. What does the Bible say about that? Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. What does that mean? That means we've walked away from where we're supposed to be. Wherever that was, God created us in a perfect environment, but mankind said to God, no, God, I'm not going to obey you. I'm going to go my own way. And with that, mankind has turned away from God. But can I tell you something? You can come back today. If you're here, you never trusted Christ as Savior. The Bible says in the end of that verse, it's true, all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. What does that mean? Your sin and my sin, like a burden, was placed upon Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary, it was as if the heaviest weight that any man has ever borne was upon him. It wasn't the weight of a wooden cross. It was the weight of your sin, my deceit, your self-righteousness, my, my, my sin and, and, and iniquity and your sin and iniquity. It was laid upon the Lord Jesus. He bore that burden to Calvary. Ladies and gentlemen, he died on the cross of Calvary to pay for your sin and to pay for my sin. You know what he says today? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I tell you today, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, it's time to return today. It's time to come back. It's time to understand that God has made the way back possible through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's time to humble yourself. It's time to trust Him as your Lord and Savior. I want to say to you today, maybe you've, uh, maybe you've been saved, but maybe you've been away from the Lord, just like the children of Israel. Maybe you've been away, but, and, and, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what caused you to go away. The, Satan is so, so wonderful and so, so powerful in, in getting us to, to go away for all kinds of different reasons. Perhaps it was a family problem. Perhaps it was a financial difficulty. Perhaps work just got in the way, and man, you didn't intend to get away, but all of a sudden you look around and think, man, I am not where I ought to be spiritually. I got here one step at a time. I understand that, but how do I get back? I want you to understand the way is available for you to get back as well. So the Bible says in this passage of Scripture, this is a passage of Scripture about people returning to the Lord. I want us to notice several key elements in this story, several key elements in Israel's return. I want us to notice, first of all, in this passage of Scripture, there's very definitely some problems. There's some problems here. You see, when you and I begin to get away from the Lord, it always brings problems in your life and in mine. It always brings problems. Satan has convinced us that somehow we can just live whatever way we want to, and then when problems come and things don't go right, we want to say, oh, no, what's, all, what's going on here? Well, do you understand? When you violate the law of God, it brings problems in your life. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. You can't live the way you want to live. We have a society today that loves to, uh, they love to, to, to take God's design for human sexuality and they love to probe all kinds of different possibilities as if that's okay. Can I tell you today, it's not okay. You want to take God, God's design for human sexuality is very simple. Man and a woman who are married to each other. That's it. Anything else, I said anything else, is sin against God, period. Now, 
Uh, there's, there's all kinds of people. Some people today say, well, I think, uh, I think we're just going to live together and see if we're compatible before we get married. Okay, you can go down that road if you want to, but don't be shocked when there are problems because you have violated God's law of human sexuality. It's just that simple. It's that simple. And somebody, uh, somebody says, well, you know, I'd, uh, I'm going to go and want to take this job, and there's no good church for me and all of this kind of stuff. Okay, you have violated God's law of making the house of God a priority. You violated God's law. Don't be surprised when problems are the result. And so here, there are some problems. I want to note very quickly some problems that we find in 1 Samuel chapter 7. I want you to note, first of all, that the Israel was dominated by the enemy. They were dominated by the enemy. Notice what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible says here in, in uh, verse in, in verse, um, verse 3, he says, God, he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, why did Israel have to be delivered out of the hand of the Philistines? Because the Philistines were dominating them. That's why. Let me tell you, the Bible says his own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. Here's what happens. When you decide to sin against God, when I decide to sin against God, we are willingly choosing a chain, and we are binding ourselves with that chain. So, when you and I decide to sin against God, let's not pretend that we're shocked when problems come. They were dominated by the enemy. They were separated from God's glory. Notice the Bible says in verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 1, uh, the, uh, verse 2 rather, it came to pass while the ark abode in kerjath Jerem that the time was long. What was happening? The ark of God was the physical representation of the glory of God on earth for, for the Jews in the Old Testament. But now the ark of God had been in the land of the Philistines because it had been captured in battle because they had been dominated by the Philistines. Now they were separated from that. Can I just tell you something? The further you get separated from walking with God, I'm talking about reading His Word. I'm talking about praying. The further you get separated from that, the worse things are going to get for you. And you don't necessarily notice it at first. But as time goes on, pretty soon you're a long way from where you need to be. It brings problems. That's exactly what was happening here. They were dominated by the enemy. They were separated from the glory. They were inundated with idolatry. Idolatry. Notice what the Bible says. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Notice what it says in verse 3. Put away, he says, then put away the strange gods. I'm in the middle of the verse. Put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord. Strange gods. You say, Brother Paul, what are strange gods? In the, in the Old Testament, you read about Baal. You've heard of, of Baal, haven't you? Baal was a god that was worshipped with all kinds of immorality in the Old Testament. Ashtoreth was a, Ashtoreth, whenever you see Ashtoreth, E-T-H, it's one, O-T-H, it's many. Ashtoreth was a, a kind of fertility god. They were fertility goddesses. As a matter of fact, Walter Kaiser, who was an Old Testament scholar, wrote this. He did his, he did his doctoral dissertation on the Old Testament Ugaritic pantheon. You say, Brother Paul, what is a Ugaritic pantheon? That means the false gods of Canaan. Okay, He did his doctoral dissertation. I can't imagine doing a doctoral dissertation on the false gods of Canaan, but that's what he did. He made this statement. He said, seldom does modern pornography exceed the excesses of sexual wickedness that were present in the Canaanite gods and goddesses. What does that mean? 
We deal today with all kinds of sexual perversion. We deal with heterosexual immorality. We deal with homosexual immorality. We deal with transgender and transvestite and all kinds of, all kinds of sexual deviance today. According to Dr. Walter Kaiser, all of that was present in the Old Testament in the worship of Baal and in the worship of Ashtoreth. So here is Samuel. He's saying, listen, there's a lot of problems here, but one of the problems is related to the fact that you're worshiping idols. Get them out of your life. It's time to serve the Lord. So there were some problems here. I want you to notice in verse 4, thankfully, there was a purge. Here's the purge. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtoreth and serve the Lord only. Hallelujah. Can I tell you, it's a wonderful day when you and I decide, I want to get right with God. It's a wonderful day when you and I decide, I'm sick and tired of the sin. I'm sick and tired of living a, a life that's not pleasing to God. It's, it's brought me nothing but problems. I want to come back. I want to get clean. I'm so thankful we serve a God who allows us to be clean. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, having therefore these promises dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a wonderful thing to be clean. And here in this passage of Scripture, there's a group of people that when they heard the preaching of Samuel, when they looked around at the problems around them, they said, yes, I want to be clean. Let me tell you something, child of God, you may have, you may have gotten away from the Lord. There may be some problems in your life right now. The first step toward getting the problems right is to admit your sin and to be cleansed by a holy God of heaven. That's good news. It's good news. I don't have to live in my sin. I can get right with God. So there are problems here, but there's a purge here. I want you to notice there's also a procedure here. There's a procedure. The Bible says in verse 5, Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah. Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. Pastor Monday, I am amazed at this. Because he's talking about returning to the Lord. He says, I want you to come back to me. But in coming back to God, he says, it's important that we gather. Did you know it's always been important for God's people to gather? Now, back then, they had a tabernacle. They had a temple. You know what we have today? We have church. We have a church. Remember, now I, don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what the Platte Valley Baptist Church did, but in the year 2000, remember how we were told, if you have church, people are going to be falling dead in the aisles of this dreaded disease, COVID-19. COVID-1 didn't kill you nor did COVID-2, or 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way through 18. But COVID-19 is different. Some people said, it came from China. And uh, other people said, well, you can't say it came from China because that's racist. And then it turns out it did come from China. And, uh, but re remember what we were told? Because of this disease, you cannot obey God and meet. Wow. 
But we didn't know what to do. There was a lot of people that were on both sides of that. I mean, good men thought one thing, and good men thought the opposite thing, and it was there were difficult times. And uh, some churches decided, well, we're not gonna we're not gonna meet at least for a time until we see what's going on. And some churches continue to meet. Uh, uh, everyone everyone did as as they saw fit in the sight of God, and I understand all of that. But I'll tell you this: there were times when I I preached some revival meetings during the year 2020 from the music room of my house in Mississippi. We live-streamed them to other states where they were, un- where they were not allowed to meet. And i got to tell you, that was kind of a drag. Was there preaching? Yeah, there was preaching. And you could live-stream. I mean, all of a sudden, every pastor in America became a televangelist. Well, we've never done it before, but we've got to get the live-stream now. We've got to get it now. And every pastor in America became a televangelist. That's right. And, uh, and that, that's what everybody was doing. But you know what? It taught me something. It taught me I don't want church that doesn't gather. I don't want to go to church where we're just doing it virtually. I want to be able to gather with the people of God. Do you understand the power of gathering with the people of God? Here's, a, here's some people, they're about to return, and God says, if you want to return, that's wonderful. You get rid of the sin in your life, that's, that's essential. But if you want to get right with God, it's time for you to gather. I'm preaching to somebody here today, and you want to get right with God, but you haven't made the house of God a priority. Somebody, somebody about gave you a visitor's card when you walked in, whereas you used to be a faithful member in the house of God. Let me just tell you something. You're kidding yourself if you think you're right with God, and yet you will not put a priority on gathering with the people of God. You're, it's, just, it's just foreign to the Bible. It's foreign to the Old Testament. It's foreign to the New Testament. And listen, if we're going to be serious about get, returning to God, we're going to be serious about getting right with God, we're going to be serious about gathering with the people of God. That's just the Bible. That's just the Bible principle. And so Samuel says, you want to know what the procedure is? It's time to gather with the people of God. Psalm 122 and verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Psalm 27 and, and verse uh, or Hebrews, well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 and 25. The Bible says, you and I are to be, are to be provoking one another to love and to good works. Now, there's some people around here that are good at provoking. <laughs> They're good at provoking, right? But it doesn't say provoking one another to, uh, I don't know, to, to take up arms and fight for our freedom. No, that's not what it says. I don't know if that's always a bad thing, but uh, that's not what the Bible says, okay? It says we're to be provoking one another to love and to good works. Let me ask you something. How do you do that on a Zoom meeting? How do you do that when you're looking at a screen and you cannot communicate with the people on the other side of the camera? The answer is you cannot. That's why God says, if you're going to get right with me, if you're going to return, it's time to gather. It's time to make the house of God a priority. It's time to get the sin out of your life, and it's time to gather and let me pray for you. That's what Samuel is saying. That's the procedure. And so, here are some people with some problems. Here are some people who decided to purge, to get right with God. Here is a procedure that happens as we come back to God. I want you to notice there's a price here. You see, Israel is coming back to the Lord, and the Philistines said, Oh, no, we're not going to let this go without a fight. So notice what the Scripture says. 
verse 6, they gathered together to Mizpah, and they drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. Verse 7, when the Philistines heard of it, heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when, the Phil- and when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. I mean, for so long, these people had come and they, had, uh, they have dominated us, and now they're coming back again. Samuel, what are we going to do? So notice what the Bible says. Verse 8, the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. Now I want you to notice verse 9. Verse 9 is interesting to me. We've seen several elements of this story. First of all, there are problems when you get away from God. There's a purge. That's a confessing of the sin. And there's a first step in getting right with God. There is a procedure. It includes gathering with the people of God. It's very plain here in the passage of Scripture. But I want you to notice number four. There's a price. There's a price to be paid. Verse 9. It's all, is there in verse 9. The Bible says Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. Now, there's a lot of offerings there. Sometimes we read the book of Leviticus and we scratch our heads and say, Dear Lord, why? Why do I have to read all of this? Those, those offerings picture aspects of the Christian life today. They're told in picture form. Sometimes the detail is a little difficult for us. I understand that. The burnt offering is the first offering spoken of in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 1. And Leviticus chapter 1 speaks of the burnt offering because the burnt offering was to be wholly given to the Lord. Now, note the words. In verse 9, Samuel took a sucking lamb. What does that mean? Does that mean it was a lousy? No, no, no. That means it was a very young lamb. It was still nursing, we would say, perhaps. He took that lamb, and he sacrificed it wholly to the Lord. Can I tell you the price of coming back to God is total surrender. God wants you to totally surrender to him. Every time you read about the burnt offering, just think total surrender. What does Samuel do? He takes a sucking lamb. He offers it as a burnt offering unto the Lord. Let me tell you, the consequences of sin will not disappear until we wholly give ourselves to God. Everybody wants the consequences of sin to disappear. Israel said, we don't want to be servants of the Philistines anymore. We want to have the ark of God back. Okay, that's fine. Well, then it's time to do business with God and get right with God. That's the way the Lord works. And so now Samuel takes this sucking lamb and he says, all right, this is the price. This is what it looks like to get right with God. This is the price. And we're going to take this and we're going to offer it wholly to God. I want to ask you something. When was the day that you, pour, that you poured out your heart to God and you said, Lord, I am no longer my own. I want to be wholly sold out to you. I think if I talk to you in this, in this auditorium somewhere, you ought to be able to give me the time or a little bit of the, the circumstances of how you got saved. You ought to be able to give a salvation testimony. That's important. But I also think if I were to talk to you, you also ought to be able to tell me when you surrendered everything to God. Because both are important. Salvation, that's the most important thing in the world. But surrender, that's the second most important thing. I want to ask you, child of God, how you totally surrendered today. You, you, you say, you know, I've been, I've been living in the world and it's been after me and it's been on me and it's been, it's been a bad thing. Okay, let's, time, let's, let's come back to God. Let's return. Let's just decide I'm going to put away all of this wickedness. I'm going to get right with God and I'm going to surrender to God. That's what it means to come back. And so... Here is this man, 
this, this man that offers this sacrifice. And you know what happened? The Bible says, Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and notice, the Lord heard him. Verse 10, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. Wow! It wasn't the, it wasn't the weapons of the Jews that drove the Philistines back. No, it was the power of Almighty God. And God came in to intervene upon a people. Had they been away from Him? Yes! They'd been worshiping idols. They'd been involved in all kinds of debauchery, all kinds of wickedness. But they made a decision. They said the problems are more than we want. We want to come back to the Lord. We've strayed so far away, but now it's time for us to come back. I want to ask you, sir, ma'am, are you far away today? Is it time to come back? It was 2018. My family and I were in the Philippines. And we were on the island of Luzon, and so there are very few places on the island of Luzon that are a suitable, in 1945 anyway, a suitable landing place for an amphibious, amphibious invasion. We happened to be not far from the specific bay where the Americans came ashore for the liberation of the Philippines. Pastor Monday, I wept as I stood on that beach and looked out at that ocean and thought to myself, this is the place where the promise to these people was fulfilled. This is the place where the man that had been away, Douglas MacArthur, returned. In our nation's history, that was an emotional place for me. But can I tell you something? It's a far better story for you to come back to God than to get right with Him. I want to ask you, are you away today? Would you come back? Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to look into your word. I'm thankful, Father, that when we go away, that you provide means for us to come back. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Folks are making their way to their places for the invitation. I, I want to ask you just a few questions this morning. Number one, this. Who here would say, Brother Paul, I can give you a testimony of salvation? Or maybe you don't remember the exact day, but you can tell me a little bit about the event. Because there was a day when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You understood you were a sinner, and you trusted Jesus and Jesus alone to save you. I want to ask you, could you tell me about that if we had a conversation? How many of you say, Brother Paul, I could tell you about that. I could tell you about the day I got saved. Would you slip up your hand right now? I could tell you about my salvation testimony. I know that I'm saved. Many, many, many hands. Thank you. You can put those down. Praise the Lord. For those of you that just raised your hands, let me ask you this. Could you give me the testimony a little bit of the circumstances of where you were and how you surrendered your heart totally to God to do whatever He wanted you to do. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I meet so many people that they can tell me about their salvation, but they've never considered the idea of complete and total surrender. Let me say to you this. 
If you, as a child of God, have never taken that step of total surrender, let me urge you to do it today. What a wonderful time. Sunday morning service in the Platte Valley Baptist Church. Time change Sunday. What a wonderful thing to do to say. It was on that Sunday when I came to Sunday school a little bit dreary that God got a hold of my heart, and I took that step of complete and total surrender to Him. If you know that you're saved, in a moment, the pianist is going to begin to play. And you want to take that step of total and complete surrender, I would urge you to do so today. Maybe you've taken that step of total surrender, but like the, like the children of Israel, you've, you've gone away from it. Won't you come back? It's time to come back today. It's time to return to the Lord. One more question and I'll be done. Who here would say, Brother Paul, if you were to talk to me one-on-one, -on -one, I couldn't give you a testimony of salvation. But I want you to pray for me. I'm not saved, Brother Paul, but I want you to pray for me. Pastor Wes, Pastor Monday, I, all three of us are looking for hands. If that describes you, I wonder, would you just slip up your hand and say, gentlemen, pray for me. God bless you. I see that one there. Anyone else? Join, include me in the prayer, gentlemen. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Pray for me. Anyone else? Yes, I see that one there. Thank you. You can put that one down. Anyone else to join these two? Yes, I see that one. Thank you. You can put it down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I've seen all of those. You may put those down. Anyone else to join these three? Gentlemen, as you pray, pray for me. I'm away from God right now. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I need you to pray for me. Now, here's what we're going to do. Those of you that have raised your hand asking for prayer, I'm going to pray publicly. I'm not going to name your name, but God knows who you are. God has seen your hand, and more importantly, God sees and knows your heart. And so if you're here this morning, we invite you to slip out of your place, and we invite you to come forward. Now, why do we invite you to do that? So that we can deal with you one-on-one. -on -one. We can have a two-way conversation. We can sit down, have a person sit down with a Bible. We can ascertain what, you, what, what is in your mind and in your thinking regarding salvation. And then we can open a Bible and show you exactly what the Bible has to say about salvation. That's what we want to do. If you will come to us, you will say, Pastor Monday, Pastor Wes, I'm one of the ones that raised my hand. I'm not sure that I'm saved. We will pair you with someone who can take a Bible and show you how to be saved. We want to do that this morning, and we will do that if you will allow us to do so. I'm going to pray for you, and as soon as, soon as you hear that first note from the, from the piano, I want you to slip out of your place. I want you to find the nearest aisle. I want you to come take Pastor Wes, take Pastor Shannon by the hand and say, gentlemen, I'm not saved, or I'm not sure I'm saved. We'll have someone help you. That's all you need to do. But the invitation is come. Would you stand to your feet right now? Everyone standing, please, all over the auditorium. Everyone standing. Now, our Father, you have seen the hands and you know the hearts of people. I have seen three people that raised the hand. And with the upraised hand, they've said, pray for me. I don't think that I'm saved, or I'm not sure that I'm saved, or something along those lines. Now, I don't know every situation, but Lord, you do. And so I pray for these three. I pray that in each individual case that you would give these individuals the courage to slip out of their place and to come. Lord, help them to, to realize we love them, but you love them more. We want to just sit down and we want to show them what the Bible has to say about salvation. That's all. And give them an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Lord, give them an opportunity to settle this once and for all. 
And so, Father, I pray that you would give these courage to come. Now, Lord, there are others that you've been speaking to their hearts. Lord, I, I didn't ask for a raise of hands from Christians who may be away from you because, Lord, if they're your child and they're away from you, they know it and you know it. But, Father, I pray if they're away from you that they'd come back today. Lord, the children of Israel came back and you did great things for them. Help us to understand that what you did for Israel corporately, you'll do for us individually. And I pray that those that need to respond would do so. In Jesus' name, amen.